Hey, it's Amber. We have two bonus episodes for you this week. I recently talked to Pastor Mike Novotny, lead speaker of Time of Grace, for his podcast. We previewed his upcoming TV message series that looks at the life of Moses and reminds us how God can use us, even if we think we're ordinary. Pastor Mike and I got into a lot of themes we often talk about here on Little Things, so we thought you'd want to have a listen as well. I hope you enjoy these. Hey, 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 everyone. Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Uh, excited to be with you on our monthly podcast here. But today, our good friend, Dr. Bruce Becker, whom I sure, I'm sure you know and love and have a poster of in your kitchen. No? Okay. Uh, he's, uh, he's busy working on some other Time of Grace projects. So he isn't here, but I'm super excited because back in the podcast is Amber L.B. Swenson. Uh, if you don't know Amber, you're missing out. She has a great podcast through Time of Grace called Little Things. Uh, she's an author, mother, warrior, type A. What, what's your intro again, Amber? Did I get all of them? <laughs> I don't know. I never listened to the intro, Mike. So <laughs> That's don't right. ask me. <laughs> Listening to your own voice is like a form of self-punishment. So it's yes, good to have you back, Amber. Uh, thanks for talking over our next sermon series with us. So excited to have you here. Yeah, it's really good to be back. And I really, I really love this sermon series. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting a chance to talk to you about it. We I'm, both uh, survived the <laughs> summer, right? It, it, we haven't spoken since the spring. So we both survived the summer, I guess. That's true. My daughters are in middle school volleyball right now. So that's a thing. It's like a pretty intense thing. So we are, I got, can I say this on the podcast? I have bleacher butt. So <laughs> I'm just, I use double the Advil in my middle age because I'm sitting on a hard Lutheran grade school gym bleacher. I don't so. miss those days, Mike. I don't. <laughs> There's certain things about the teen years that, you know, are kind of rough and a struggle, but getting rid of those uh, sports that uh, my kids didn't continue into the high school years, that's not mm. one of the things I miss. No, yeah, no. Indeed. Well, pray for us. So it's fun, but yeah, we're blessed. Life's going good. So yeah, let's dive in. Let's talk about our next sermon series called Am I Strong Enough? This is a sermon series about Moses, about the book of Exodus, you know, this huge guy in the pages of biblical history. And yeah, starting here where he is not like a rock star from the beginning. All right. So sermon number one, it's called God Really Works Through Ordinary Me. Talked about the concept that God can really work through me, which is is it this serious thing that a lot of us struggle with? You know, when God came to Moses in the burning bush, a lot of us feel like Moses do did at that time where we're like, you know, well, what could I do? I'm not anything special. Hmm. So why would I be of any use to anyone? And that's what the point of the sermon was. God hmm. uses ordinary. So hmm. tell us about that. Cause most of us feel pretty ordinary. Um, I, I was kind of thinking like, of of all the people who've taught me things about God over the years, how many of them have been celebrities? You know, the person who baptized you, the person who shared that bit of wisdom or encouraged you when you need it. Like, <laughs> I don't think any, very, very few people's spiritual story was I was lost. And then I met a social influencer, <laughs> right? It was, it was an ordinary mom. It was an average family. It was a, below average attendance church. It was a normal day. So, you know, just thinking my own story, like, wow, I've been really blessed spiritually with some great wisdom and scripture over the years. And none of it came from famous people. 
So maybe it's possible that God could use average people like us to keep this going, right? The next domino in the ordinary chain that leads to extraordinary places. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. And for me, it was a praying grandpa too. That was such a huge influence in my life. So totally ordinary person. That's, that's good. And I wonder if, do you think God prefers it? Because if he only did big things through big name people, we'd probably think it was because of the big name people. I think he doesn't have a choice. He has to use ordinary, right? (laughs) (laughs) Bottom line is we're all pretty ordinary. So I I think he probably defaults because he doesn't have a whole lot of extraordinary. So that that may be my bias, but that's a biblical way to look at it. Yeah. There's like, God would use good people, but there aren't any. So, yeah. (laughs) You mentioned everyday ordinary decisions and you kind of made us think about our decisions that we do every day. And these can lead to amazing things down the line, just the everyday normal decisions. What are some of the seemingly simple minor decisions that you've made in your life that have led to significant things throughout the years? Mm, Yeah, great question. Uh, Have you ever heard, there was a book, it came out a few years ago by Charles Duhigg. I don't know if I have that name right, called The Power of Habit. Mm. It was a, I think I found it at an airport. So it was one of those kind of self-helpy books that had gotten pretty famous. And there's this phrase in there where the premise of the book is when you have good habits, it really changes you. And uh, Duhigg had this phrase, a keystone habit, where he said, like, if you can do this one thing, right, he called it a keystone habit, then all these other things will take care of themselves. So for example, um, you know, you might want to eat a healthy breakfast pray in the morning, maybe get a workout in. Duhigg would say, if you can teach yourself, if you can get into the habit of not hitting the snooze bar, <laughs> right? Just like wake up at the time that you set so you could get all those things done, then you really don't need to change three or four things in your life, just that one. So yeah, when, when I'm thinking about this question, like what have I done? I think I've had two keystone habits that have blessed me, one spiritually and one in a family sense. Spiritually, setting a clock, a timer for 30 minutes every day to read my Bible. And for me, you know, for many years, decades now, I've been reading the Bible, but I'm not sure if your brain is the same or different than mine, but I have rarely found that the first time I read a Bible passage that it does anything for my heart. Like, I could read a grace moment from time of grace. I, I could read a chapter of the inspired word of God and rarely... Do I instantly think, wow, that's exactly, that is so powerful. Um, Maybe I'm just jacked up, but it's always the second time. It's the third time. It's 17 minutes in where, oh, 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 look at that. Look at that. And then boom, you know, it's powerful and does such great things in my heart. So that was like a keystone habit for me. Sit in bed, open your Bible, set the timer. Don't get out of bed until the timer rings. That's been a small thing that's made a, a big impact in my life. Uh, the relational one that I want to ask you the same question, but the relational one Friday night is date night, right? Like it, not everyone can pull that off. I'm pretty spoiled. Uh, my parents live 1.5 miles from my house and they get angry if I don't leave my daughters with them on, on a Friday night for sleepover. So we, we have an advantage over many, many couples, but uh, you know, Kim and I have found that we can have a pretty busy week, but if date night is there Friday, just like face-to-face conversation good food, just us. 
like that just has a way of working out nine other problems in marriage. So yeah, those are the two habits that I've seen that have made a big difference. How about you? You got any? Well, reading the Bible is one. And for me, I can't, I always am so astounded at how forgetful I am when I read the Bible. I've read the Bible. I, my habit has been, I mean, for years and years and years, more years than I know, um, to read the Bible from front to back and then go back and start over again. So I I've read the Bible. I, I don't know how many times front to back. And yet I get to places in the Bible and I'm like, I don't think I've ever read that before. Mm-hmm. Clearly I have, yeah, yeah. the Holy spirit is tapping me on the shoulder. Like you really need to pay attention to this passage this time. Mm-hmm. And I think too, that I tell people this all the time, that when you make that a habit of daily going to the word of God, spiritual growth happens and you don't even realize it. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, working on those spiritual muscles. And it isn't until you're talking to someone and you're telling them something you read in the Bible and you don't even consciously remember really reading that, or you're kind of like, well, that's right. I, you know, so it, it just all, it, yep. it, you're working without even knowing that you're working as you read the Bible every day, which is just super, super cool. Yes. So. It's like, it's like humans growing. You it's don't think muscles. I feel, I feel like I'm growing now. It just happens. And then one day, your uncle says, when did you get so big? Exactly. You're like, I, and did, I think, I don't know. <laughs> Am Especially I? <laughs> when you're reading through the Bible and we as a family are doing just the opposite of what I do. So we're, we started in revelation. We're reading the Bible backwards because <laughs> I have young adults. So you, you kind of mix things up, but um, you know, especially when you're in the book of Ezekiel reading about the temple and all the measurements and stuff, you just don't see any growth happening. You know, you just are like, uh, but then when you get done with the book of Ezekiel and you're like, well, we have read the entire book of Ezekiel and we persisted and we, you know, (laughs) so that's like a cool thing. So, I mean, I think, I think, and you've said it before too. I've heard you say it that, you know, not every day is this glorious Bible reading Mm -hmm. experience, Yeah, but it pays off. So it really does. Do you think when uh, you and I get to heaven, Ezekiel's going to be waiting. He'd be like, dude, I heard that. Like so, I wrote one book and I, I'm not there to defend myself. And, and, and then he's going to blame the Holy spirit. And there's going to be a whole thing in heaven, except there it'll be heaven. So yeah, and, I guess I'll be cool with it. We're going to, we're going to talk about people we want to confront later on. But one of the people that I want to confront is Moses because he's mm. so redundant. You know, he had to say, and this tribe needs to bring this and this tribe, and he writes out the same paragraph, and he could have just said, you know, all 12 tribes should bring this. And as a writer, that drives me absolutely crazy. So yeah, there are people that I want to talk to in heaven, but it's a long list. So I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to get to that, you know, in the first thousand million years of history or how that's going to work out exactly. But I think we'll be pre- busy praising Jesus. So we might yeah, not get to so. any of that. Yeah. I probably won't even think about it. So um, so I love that you said in sermon one, look guys, you, it's not a big thing. Just do little things. So notice someone smile, talk to them, text to them. It's just little tiny things. So talk to the person who's overwhelmed sitting on the sidelines, thinking they don't add anything to God's kingdom. Hmm. Why are we so quick to dismiss little things thinking that they don't matter? Yeah. Because Satan is good at his job, right? Uh, read when, when Jesus wanted to tell us what the kingdom of God is like, you know, you can't see it. So let me tell you stories that you can get. 
how, I mean, how many times would he say the kingdom of God is like a seed? Not just a, not a pumpkin seed, not a sunflower. This kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Like it is so tiny. You don't even know it's there. (laughs) So I, I think that's why we forget it because Satan wants us to think, well, certainly no one would come to believe in Jesus because of you. I mean, maybe Billy Graham, maybe so-and-so on TV, maybe the pastor, but not, you know, it's like that inferiority complex. Like I can't do evangelism, only the evangelism team, only the people with the gift, only the, I wouldn't know what to say. God's like mustard seed, mustard seed, mustard seed. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Jesus saying when he comes back, he's not going to say what you did for celebrities. That meant so much to me, what you did for the least of these. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Satan knows he's the father of lies. If he can make us forget or doubt those very clear things that Jesus said, the least people matter so much to God. The last will be first. The little mustard seed becomes a tree that the birds of the air take shelter in. Like if, if we lose sight of that scripture, of course, we're going to buy into the world's idea that bigger is better and that you're unworthy and you should just sit there on the sidelines because you're not a starter in the kingdom of God. And I think when we go back to what we were talking about before too, you know, what are the things that encouraged you, kept you going when you were down and out? It was the card you got in the mail. Mm-hmm. It was the email from someone at just the right time that said, Hey, what you did mattered. It wasn't some, you know, earth shaking, huge pie in the sky thing that somebody did it. And, and, and even mm-hmm. in our relationships, right. It's your husband yeah. or wife saying that they love you in the morning, or it's those little things that kind of keep you going each day. So yeah. I love that. I, w- I just wish there was a podcast I don't know. That would remind us of that. The little things we can do. And it's kind of one of my themes in life. Yeah. (laughs) I'm all about little things, Mike. And here I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you and everybody else the scoop. It's because I'm not very good at big things. So Mm. little things are kind of my thing. So I like, all right. That sounds like a Christian t-shirt. Little things are my thing. (laughs) Yeah, that (laughs) could be, could be. I'll have to talk to someone at time and grace about that. Let's talk to the marketing people about a new t-shirt line. That, That sounds good. All right, moving on to sermon two. It's called When You Argue with God. You started with um, Moses and the burning bush. And all I could think of as I was going through the sermon is how many people would love to have that experience. Because so many of us, you know, are constantly worrying about decisions. Should I do this or should I do that? Should I take this job or take that job? And God appeared to Moses and said, Moses, this, this right here, this is what I want you to do. And Moses was like, no, no, thanks. No, that's all right, Lord. (laughs) Any thoughts on that? What's your deal, Moses? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that comes up all the time, right? That, you know, pastor, I got this job offer. Should I stay? Should I go? Or I, I met this person. Should I date her or should I not? Or so I had this really, really great, um, he actually passed away about a year ago. I think professor, when I was at Martin Luther college, uh, Daniel Deutschlander was his name, sweet German name, bachelor, his whole life. He always made fun of me for speaking Spanish. So really a uh, close place in my heart. I was a public school kid. So college here was the first Christian school I'd ever gone to. So I got to be in Daniel Deutschlander's class. We, we jokingly called it dummy doctrine. Because we were all these kids who, you know, didn't grow up with all the doctrine and Monday to Friday kind of public school. And honestly, after one year listening mm-hmm. to his teaching, we were far from dummies. He was a brilliant man. 
so he would teach about this and he, uh, he had this analogy saying, like, if you stand in front of your closet and say, should I wear the, the black pants today or the blue pants? God doesn't care. Just put on pants, <laughs> right? God's not saying you chose the wrong pants. I can't bless you in the blue pants. Like if, if that's how God was, he would have said it in his word. And this was Professor Deutschlander's funny way of saying, listen, you do A or you do B. If the Bible doesn't forbid it, God's going to bless you either way. Take that's the all job. Good. That's Don't all good, Mike. I still want, I want, I still want God in a burning bush now and then. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate I, what you're saying. I bet you do. <laughs> but do. he is, you know, he is not the God who normally works that way. I know. But Mo I know. Moses had a single burning bush experience. It this wasn't every, it wasn't every Tuesday. And it is wonderful that you are so absolutely right. You know, so many decisions we put, you know, we put so much on them as if they're going to be earth shattering and life changing. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely 100% right. I needed to keep that in mind because of the age that my kids are that of knowing like, <laughs> you know, Amber, if they go this way and it doesn't work out, they can turn around and go this way. It's, it's yeah. not the end of the world. So yes, 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 that's yes. good. It's such know. good comfort, right? I mean, we want the burning bush, but at the end of the day, if it's not a puzzle, I have to figure out if God's going to be with me, whether I turn to the right or left, that's the best news in the world. And we know he is right. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the bottom line. We know he is. So a lot of times we are like Moses, though, who is standing at that bush going, no, thanks, God, I don't want this, because a lot of times we have the ministry right in front of us, right? Hmm. So we have our kids and, you know, we're, we are meant to be godly Christian parents who are teaching our children the word of God, but that's hard, you know, so I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that. I'd rather do something big in the kingdom or hmm. like you were saying, you know, feeding your marriage every week, that, that can be hard to even just chip away that time. So mm. what would you say to the people who say, you know, I want to do big things in the kingdom, but God just seems to give me all these little things. If he can't entrust you with little, why would he entrust you with much? Right. If, if I can't be loving towards one person, why would God say, you know what, Mike, I'm going to give you a mega church. <laughs> that, that doesn't make any, you wouldn't do that if you were a manager. Like, you know what? This person is terrible managing two people. Maybe I should make them a senior man. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 when I read your question earlier, I wrote down on, on my notes here, don't do big things, do God things. Right? Like that is just a recipe for discontent, where I'm only going to be satisfied if I'm doing these really big, glorious things. You actually find out when you do big, glorious things, it really comes back to the little things. I mean, time of grace is a great example. I get, you know, the, these big numbers of reaching people with the gospel, but at the end of the day, so much of my joy, so much of our ministry's joy comes back with, are, are we loving each other? Well, are we serving each other well? Are we praying for each other, bearing burdens? The, the small things you don't make a video about or a podcast, but so much of the joy and the work of the kingdom comes from the little things that happen within the big things. So yeah, that's what I would say. Mundane things matter so much. Trees, 
start with seeds. Fruit starts with roots. So don't get sucked into this worldly, like it has to start big. It has to always be big. Nobody's life works like that. So don't let the devil hustle you away from really good joy. That's right here and right now. And I think um, going back to what we've already talked about, about those habits too, I was, I heard a um, district president talk one time, and he was saying that when he is contacted by a church and there's some problems with the pastor and he goes and talks to the pastor, he says, the first question he asks every single time is how is your Bible study and prayer life going? And he said nine times out of 10, the pastor's like, you know, Mm. I've let it slip. Mm. And it was at a leadership conference. And this pastor was saying, you know, listen, if you're not doing those little everyday ministry things for for you and Mm -hmm. your relationship with God, Mm -hmm. there's no way that you can be trusted, like you said, to, to be shaping other people spiritually. Yeah. So if this what's between you and God isn't going well, then yeah. you can't be helping other people. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty powerful. Yeah. So you, um, give us three reminders in this sermon that God is going to get us through. One was God will be with us. The next one was God provides what we need. And then God gives us grace. And all three were very important. And I hope people listen to the sermon, but for now, let's just focus on God's grace. How is God's grace going to get through our everyday ministry opportunities and commitments? Oh, yeah. I mean, let me flip it. What would, what would Amber's life be like if God's grace was not in the picture? Amber would be lying flat on the floor with a blanket over her head, (laughs) sucking her thumb. That's bottom line truthfulness. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, grace, my simple definition, undeserved love. And isn't that cool? Like, if God is a God of grace, that means he's going to show up um, in ordinary places with ordinary people in very ordinary routine ways. You know, you're walking the dog, you're trying to be a good parent. You're trying not to go off on this driver who's riding, (laughs) riding your bumper. If God was like this big, important King who was only going to do high level stuff with his, you know, C-level executive team. Oh, but he isn't. He's a God of grace who reaches down to the least of us so that people like me can say, wow, God's paying attention right now. He's here right now. He cares about this. Cast all your anxiety on him, First Peter says. So, you know, grace is so empowering in the sense that not only is it the reason that I'm forgiven from my failures, but it's the reminder that God is present in this moment to help me with this thing that seems so little to others. But to me, right now, it's a big deal. All right. Have you ever had one of those like arguments with someone, maybe your, your spouse, and you try to explain it to a friend and you just sound like an idiot because it's so small. Yeah. One of my like, favorite, no, but... <laughs> one of my favorite, favorite anniversary cards I ever got from my husband. In fact, I never signed it because I wanted to like keep it forever, but it was a man with the refrigerator open and there's nothing but butter in the whole refrigerator. And you know where this goes on the inside. It's like, hun, do we have any butter? And so it is, it is those little things, right? It is the silly little things that can bring you to these major massive arguments and thank God for his grace. But I also think too, God's grace is so awesome when we miss those tiny opportunities that we're going to be looking for. Hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've said the prayer, like, 
Lord, I missed that one. Give me another opportunity with that person because I, I, I now see that you were giving me the nudge and I was just into myself or into my family or not paying attention and I missed it. So God, give me another opportunity. And he's so gracious. He, he does. Yeah, he absolutely does. Yeah. Grace is everything. So it's good to remember. I mean, the longer we talk, it's like, oh yeah, shoot. And I'm bad at that. And I'm bad at that. And I'm just like Moses. Yep. And I'm bad at that. So to be able to come back to grace at the end of every day, good or bad, and just say, wow, I'm good with God. I have a place in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. So thank you for grace. For sure. Okay. Moving on to sermon three, it's called how God fights for you you didn't take it the direction that I maybe thought you were going to take it because you took us right into letting us know that an awful lot of the time we willingly become slaves to sin. And it was really good for me to contemplate because I think that a lot of times we look at the old Testament believers and we're like, man, those people were weak. They Mm -hmm. made a golden cow and they, you know, were always doing their little idol things Mm -hmm. and we're not realizing how much idolatry is a part of our life. Mm. So you did mention some in this sermon, but what do you think are some of America's biggest idols? Ooh. Yeah. Wow. There are many. So I always define an idol as a good thing that turns into a God thing, which is a bad thing. I stole that from some preacher years ago. So it, it's a good thing. It could be family. It could be the United States of America. It could be freedom. It could be health. It could be marriage. It could be children. It's a good thing. It's a good gift from God, but it turns into a God thing, which means it's my number one. I'm willing to sin for the sake of this thing. I, I couldn't live without this thing. So a good thing that turns into a God thing, which is a bad thing. So you're asking, like, what do I think <laughs> is near the top of that list? Um, I wrote down two, number one, me, number two, now, Hmm. right? Like I was just trying to think personally, like when, when do I lose my trust in God? When it's not, when it's not about me, it's not working out for me and it's not happening right now. So God, I mean, he, I, He says so frequently in the Bible, yep, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Oh, yeah. Some of those old believers, they were sawed into two pieces. John the Baptist was beheaded. Peter was crucified. You follow a guy who was mistreated and abused. Um, But don't worry. It's going to seem like nothing once you get to heaven. And I, I think a lot of modern Americans can't handle that. Like, wait, what about my plans for self-actualization? What about my dreams and my hopes? I'm cool with a God who wants to like be my life coach and use his supernatural power to help me achieve what I want. But if God's going to put me through a difficult life right now, and it's not going to be fixed, like, I don't know if I can do that. So this, I mean, it's a huge factor when it comes to debates about sexuality, right? What kind of God would make things hard for 50 or 60 years? And the answer is the biblical God. I mean, what kind of God would want me to serve and love someone who's disabled, who uh, it's not a perfect marriage, the biblical God. But if me and now are my idols, 
that call to obedience and sacrificial living is impossible. It, it's absurd. It's a sacrifice I'm not going to make. So it is everywhere in the Bible, but it is barely anywhere in modern culture. We're, we're like a 5G world. You deserve a break today. Have it your way. I mean, th these are how we're marketed too. And it's very appealing to my me now heart. So I know it's a, a heavy word, but I, I, I think it is the problem with America right now. It has to be about me. It has to be about right now. And if it's not, sorry, Christianity, I'm out. I love that Psalm that says, give me only what I need because too mm. much and I may forget I need you mm. and too little and I may steal and, and dishonor you. And um, what you were saying just reminded me how important that is to have mm. that mentality. Like, Lord, give me what I need today to serve you and glorify you well, because mm. me and now always wants more that isn't necessarily better for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, Think of, uh, it, it always shocks me. You remember, is it Acts 4, Acts 5, where Peter and John are preaching the name of Jesus and they arrest them and they threaten them and they're thinking about killing them, but instead they just flog them. Think what flogging was. They tortured them. They whipped them. They're bleeding. They're traumatized and they leave and they get back to the other apostles. Rejoicing. They're, they're like, we just got tortured for the name of Jesus. Like we... This happened because we yeah. are Jesus's people. Like we are eternally bound, happy forever people. So if this is what we have to go through, like if me now has to be really hard, that is infinitely better than not having Jesus and having an easy life. Yeah. And it's such a shocking weak. story. I mean, like we, it we, is. we freak out all the time when someone like slights us in the smallest way. Yeah. Like, oh, G Jesus, give me the, uh, the attitude of, of Peter and John. For sure. We are so weak. I, I subscribe to the voice of the martyrs newsletter too. And mm. every time I read that, I'm like, oh man, these people are amazing. They get out of jail and they immediately go start trying to convert their friends, you know, oh. or they, the pastor is killed. So his wife carries on his ministry, knowing that she's in harm's way. And mm. these things that constantly are challenging me that, you know, we've got it so good. Mm. We, but we, find so many things to complain about and to keep us from doing God's work. So it's, it's crazy. And that's idolatry. Like you said, it's just me concentrating on me and my comfort and yep. instead of, you know, God's kingdom. Hmm. And, and that leads to the next question is these idols don't satisfy us. There's a lot of pleasure sometimes in thinking about me, hmm. but ultimately, as you said, in your sermon, a lot of times God won't let these idols satisfy us because he wants us to turn to him and with knowing that though, why do we keep trying to take it further? So you, you just think, you know, like the addiction, hmm. so the addiction is leaving you miserable. And yet you think, well, maybe the next high will be better or hmm. getting drunk this time will be so much better. And it's going to be so fun. Why do we keep going back to these idols and trying to take it a step further instead of realizing that that's the problem? Yeah. Um, because waiting isn't our superpower <laughs> because our sinful nature needs glasses, but refuses to wear them. Mm -hmm. Like I can just see right in this moment. It's like, I'm not thinking of the morning after I'm not thinking of the year yes. later. I'm not thinking of consequence. I'm just thinking me now 
and that's why temptation is so tempting. Um, r- rarely when I'm tempted, <laughs> you know, if there's like a, something going on in our home or in my marriage, I rarely sit down and like do a Bible study and list out the pros and cons of saying thing A to Kim. It's like, but I feel this. So I'm going to say it. <laughs> and it's so dumb. You know, you look back like, what was I thinking? And the answer was, I wasn't thinking. Yeah. I was, I was just reacting to the slow pitch that Satan was throwing me. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I mean, it's just God have mercy and thank you, God, that you do, because I'm so driven by just the, the me and the now it, it's, it's easy to say about sexuality or other things, but it's really all of our struggle. It's just so hard to think about God and then instead of me and now. So thank you, God, yeah. for being a God of grace. Like you said before. So true. So you ended this sermon with a wonderful, beautiful, poignant story about a slave girl. It was just, it, that's going to stick with me for a long time, I hope. Mm -hmm. And, um, it really made me think about walking with people when they're caught in their idolatry, that's not satisfying them. Mm -hmm. Cause so often God doesn't allow the idols in our life to satisfy us. He wants us to turn to him. And we can sit on the sidelines doing, you know, the whole play by play, like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. Well, clearly they're in that position (laughs) because they made that decision. But that story made me think about how much better it is to jump in and just love people through, even when they're just experiencing the consequences of their decisions. And I think that's something that Moses did really well. He just walked with these people who you know, I struggle with being a mom to four kids sometimes. So a couple million, I think Moses was <laughs> unbelievable, <clears throat> but was you, while you were studying Moses and doing the sermon series, what aspect of his life really spoke to you? Mm. Yeah, it is pretty stunning that he didn't just go back to be a shepherd. <laughs> I picture like the Israelites getting up one morning, they're waiting for Moses to come out of the tent to fix their problems. And it just gets awkward because he must be sleeping in until someone has the courage to zip. I don't know if they had zippers back then, but I'm imagining, you know, where's Moses at? And there's his, there's his little staff and he's, he's just MIA. He, he okay. took off in the middle of the night. But I think that after the burning bush experience, he probably knew God wouldn't let him get away with that. <laughs> yeah. Right. He, he can show up in the wilderness too. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. I'm a, but I mean, if you've ever led anything, whether it's a family a job, if you've been a manager of people, pastor of a church, you have direct reports in your company. Like, you know, pe- people are the blessing and people are the curse. So what aspect of Moses's life speaks to me? The fact that he had so many people in his care, the burden of leadership that no one else in Israel could completely share with him. And yet he didn't take off. He, he cracked. <laughs> You know, and God took his sin seriously when he smashed the rock and didn't do things God's way. But the fact that he, what, for 40 years was leading those people through the wilderness, same thing on the menu every day, man and quail, he didn't take off, <laughs> complaining, generate. I mean, I, I get so mad reading about these people and their constant complaints, but just his endurance and his faithfulness to see the job until God called him home for all of his flaws and weaknesses, that, that is really extraordinary. Couldn't agree more. 
Couldn't agree more. In fact, that's something that really struck me about Moses is just his determination to stick with the people. Hmm. God even gave him an out like Moses. I will destroy these people and I will create a people by you. (laughs) And Moses didn't take it. You know what I mean? So that is a leader who loves his people. He had just this amazing determination to stick with them. All right. The last sermon it's called, I feel stuck. And right off the bat at the beginning of the sermon, I noticed how very different Moses was from when God had called him. So when God called him and he was standing at that burning bush, Moses had every excuse in the book why he couldn't do it. And in this sermon, the people are stuck. So they see the Red Sea ahead of them and Pharaoh's army is behind them. And Mm -hmm. Moses is standing up and saying to the people, just don't be afraid, stand firm. The Lord's going to fight with you Mm -hmm. or for you. So how did this dramatic change happen in Moses in such a short time? Oh. Like, how did he go from being this, like, really weak, fearful to this really strong leader? I think my answer is he didn't. Uh, Someone once told me, if you think you found a human who looks like a hero in the Bible, keep reading the Bible. (laughs) So this is an improvement for Moses, but how many chapters later till he's like smashing the rock with a stick and God says, no, you're not going to the promised land. It's like David fighting Goliath. Oh my goodness, here's the king who's going to be just like Jesus. But then one night. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, that's encouraging because Moses had his moments. He had his really like highlight real moments and he had his really sobering, like you're Moses and you did that kind of moments. So I think seeing God's faithfulness, the more miracles you see, the easier it gets to be able to say, oh yeah, don't be afraid. I've been here before and God came through. God fought for us back in Egypt. He's the God who brought the plagues to save us. He's not going to bail on us now. So I think that does help us mature, but it's almost, someone once said, uh, our spiritual life is like doing a yo-yo while you try to walk up a staircase. Like you're, you're moving, you know, in an upward direction, hopefully with God's help, but the yo-yo you know, if it dips down, even as you're going up the staircase, sometimes the yo-yo itself is like at a lower level. I thought that was a good way of describing my Christian life. Like, I, I don't know, I hope I'm, I hope I'm getting better at this, but there are some days where like Moses, like, Oh, sometimes I'm impressive. And sometimes I just, I want to crawl under my desk and say, God, send someone else. because I'm totally incompetent for this job. I loved your um, sermon that we just, that we just finished the pray like a pro series and the first sermon where you basically said, you know, you pray your whole life, like help daddy. And, you know, it's not that you ever get to some point in your life where Moses was this great leader. And he, he was like, "Mm, never mind, God, I got this one. You just hit this one out. You know, he, we're all always going into each situation, going help dad. I I know I can't do this alone. So help. Yeah. 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 That's what makes you great. That total dependency. So, yeah. So unfortunately for those who would grab their pencil for a three-step program to go from (laughs) like timid to, you know, great preacher or great leader, it's super easy. It's just pray and depend on the Lord. Yeah. Amen. 
So as much as I would love to think that I am always like Moses in that Red Sea moment who was just strong and I've got this and well, he didn't say that he said, we're going to trust in the Lord. But um, the truth is mostly I end up being like those children of Israel who were standing there and they were saying, Moses, did you lead us out here? Because there were no graves in Egypt. Hmm. And a lot of times when little irritants come along throughout the day, it's so easy to just start complaining and worrying and lose the eternal focus that there's something bigger going on here, or that maybe these little irritants don't matter as much as we put into them. Hmm. So how do we keep our eternal perspective through the day so that we're not complaining or worrying or whining about everything that happens? Yeah. Oh man. <clears throat> so your, your question is, how can we not worry? <laughs> well, that's that's a big question. It, it is. I just wanted to phrase it like, yeah, this is going to take a substantial answer. Um, maybe a trigger when I've studied like how, how do people change behavior? A lot of psychologists will talk about having a trigger. So maybe it's I walk into the bathroom. That's just my trigger to grab my toothbrush. We all have kind of triggers that do things. Um, what if, what if every time we were really worried about something, like not just a, a brief freaking out, but like we, we can't get out of it? What if that was a trigger to read Romans chapter eight? You know, like it starts, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus fulfilled it. I'm good with God. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Oh, yeah. And there's going to be present suffering and it's going to be bad. It's going to be like labor pains. Oh, but God's working for my good. Those he called, he, he justified. Those he justified, he'll, he will glorify. And there's nothing in all of creation, not life, death, angels, demons, present, future. Like what if worry became a trigger to get to one of the best chapters in the Bible that covers all of it? Um, maybe after reading that whole chapter, I don't know, 71-ish times, <laughs> maybe, you know, those seeds would start to grow until one day you think, huh, it's been a while since I read Romans 8 because it's been a while since I totally freaked out about something. That's neat. You know, what's funny is that I have little Bible passages hung all throughout my house and they're the major ones, you know, that tell us these things. And I can't tell you how many times I worry as I walk right past those things and I need somebody <laughs> to come over to my house. I had someone over at my house the other day and they're like, I love that Bible passage. And I was oh. standing there and I'm like, man, I need that Bible passage. <laughs> like I need to stop in front of my wall, read it, but it's so easy for me to walk right past it and just yeah. keep worrying, which yeah. is the human condition, I guess. But uh, it's like the guy who's pacing around the house because he needs to get to work and he can't find his keys. And after seven minutes, he realizes they're in his pocket. <laughs> that is not funny. I'm getting old now and I do that more often. It's usually my glasses, but I now understand that. So, so you have blessed us at Time of Grace with a, a book called Chosen for More. And I know Ruth is a part of that. So mm -hmm. kind of give us the pitch. What, what's the premise of this book? Why should of the making of many books, the Bible says there is no end. Yeah. So what makes this worthy of our time and attention? You know, I have to say the time of grace people who plan this all out did a spectacular job because the premise is really that God uses ordinary people where they're at and that each of us have 
a calling and that God has equipped us for that calling, the, the Ephesians 2.10. God gave us everything we need. He equips us. And then he puts these things right in front of us for us to do. And so hopefully as people read it, they really start examining their own life and who's right in front of them and um, what God may be calling them to do right here, right now in their life. Boom. I love that. <clears throat> we actually have copies of, of your book that sit on our little time of grace shelf at our church. And it's cool to see people pick those up and take them home. I was like, yes. Okay. This is going to be a good one for that person. Awesome. <clears throat> so you don't just cover Ruth. Um, no. She's a, a part of the book, but not all of the book. I think you also cover the prophet Jeremiah, Queen Esther, Peter, and then the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah, this has been such a good discussion. I think we're actually going to have a totally separate episode where Amber and I can dig into her book called Chosen for More. Oh, I can't wait. Please go check it out. If you're listening, um, I would love for you to get your hands and your eyeballs on, uh, on Amber's words. So we actually have a, a two book set that includes Amber's book Chosen for More and then another book called Gifted for More. So not only does God choose people, uh, he gifts them through the Holy Spirit with really unique things that the body of Christ needs. So kind of uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, every part is because God picked it. And we want to get these books into your hands so that you can know your place in the kingdom, get off the sidelines, realize that God chose you. As Amber said, you're the one. And whether you see it or not, he has a great purpose for your life, uh, these good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. So make sure you jump over to the Time of Grace website, timeofgrace.org, and you can learn all about those two books, Chosen for More and Gifted for More. All right, Amber, we're landing this plane. Uh, do you have any closing comments about Moses, about God choosing us, about ordinary things, little things? What do you got for us? Um, I just had a chance this week to start reading Bruce's book, Gifted for More, and it's phenomenal. It'll be a total blessing to anybody who reads it. And especially for people who are a little bit um, not quite sure um, where God has gifted them, it's, it's really going to help them pinpoint their gifts and how they can use them in God's kingdom. So I'm really excited for people to look yeah. into that too. Yeah, me too. If you had asked me, I'm, I'm 40 years old now, what's the difference between me at 40 and me at 30? Pretty close to the top of my list would be I think I know who I am now. Like I kind of knew bits about my personality, but like, here's how I'm wired. Here's mm -hmm. how I'm gifted. Here's what I really should do. Here's what's going to fire me up. Here's why I'm going to mess things up. Here's where I have to say, thanks for asking, but I know nine people who are better. Mm -hmm. And I think this book is, is kind of trying to speed up that process for people. Like if you don't know your part in the body of Christ between chosen for more and gifted for more, uh, God's going to help get, get you there much faster. Yeah. And I'm actually a little bit saddened to say that it was this time last year that I sort of figured out this whole spiritual gift thing. Hmm. Uh, I was teaching a Bible study with a friend of mine and she was talking about joy of all things. And she said, when you're trying to do things that aren't your spiritual gift, a lot of times it's not very joyful. Hmm. You know, you're, you're like, Oh, I just struggled to do this so much. <laughs> yes. And so we did the spiritual gift inventory, which is included in Bruce's book. And, um, the funny thing is, so my top two were shepherding and teaching mm -hmm. and like at the very bottom was hospitality. <laughs> and I thought this explains so much <laughs> because if you ask me to teach Sunday school or Bible history at church, yep. I'm all in. Yep. Um, but one year they asked all the women of the congregation to bring 
a homemade pie for a pastor's conference. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that my pie ended up in the garbage, like before I got to my car, because I made a French silk pie that looked like mud. And then now I realize there's, a, I don't have to bring a pie. I can teach Sunday school. I don't have to bring a pie. <laughs> And when I did the spiritual gift inventory and I was, and I saw this for the first time, it, it was life-changing. Boom. I was actually at that pastor's conference and three of my classmates <laughs> got deathly ill. So <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> Top quotes of the podcast. I don't have to bring a pie, put on pants. You're the one. I love it. All right, Amber, thank you so much for giving so much of your time. I uh, hope people out there listening have uh, enjoyed our journey through the life of Moses, big sermon series, books coming up. We hope you can catch all of the episodes of our upcoming sermon series. It's called, Am I Strong Enough? It's about Moses, it's about our lives, but more than anything, it is about the powerful God that we worship. Uh, once again, we would love people to learn about how they've been chosen, how they've been gifted. So if anything kind of clicked in your mind today, like, hey, I have a friend who could use that, we certainly love your ratings, your reviews, your likes, your subscribes, but maybe just sharing this with one particular person will be a great action step. Uh, I know sometimes I listen to podcasts and then I go on my merry way. So if you could just take 30 seconds and do that, uh, we think the kingdom would be blessed. It might seem like a little thing, but Amber? In God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Boom. Amen to that. Have a good day and we'll catch you next time.